Are you sick and tired of ads? Well, this is an ad telling you that you don't need to listen to ads. Stitcher Premium has some of your favorite shows ad-free, like The Joe Rogan Experience, My Favorite Murder, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, and the Marvel original, Wolverine the Long Night. It also includes early access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, comedy albums, and more. Go to stitcherpremium.com and upgrade your account for only $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year. Plus, sign up and use our offer code, CAPED, at checkout and get your first month for free. That's CAPED, C-A-P-E-D, for your first month free. Stitcher Premium. It's like Stitcher, but premium. This episode is full of spoilers and contains some not-so-super language. citizens welcome to the fortress of potitude i'm dave michaels i'm brian betts and we are the cape podcasters this is the show that is convinced that joe johnston director of today's film went to disney went on the ride it's a small world and said (laughs) rocketeer there's the idea (laughs) got it how about a flying man and how about we have just a real tightly squeezed in area and just make the movie work in that it's a small world after all here we go rocketeer from 1991 directed by the joe johnston he's back he's back he's here before the thing that we know him from earlier right captain america the first avenger yeah right he likes the world war ii's yeah well he uh kind of cut his teeth on some indiana jones and howard the duck and yes, Howard the Duck and <laughs> Star Wars. I don't know if you've heard of them. Who? The, the Star Wars. Right. Live long and prosper. Right. Yeah. That's how you get punched in the mouth. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, that's so weird. I just felt a bunch of unsubscribers. Uh, uh. <laughs> but yeah, he was uh, a visual artist and art director and visual designer on on those movies and then eventually moved up to the big leagues for movies like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Jumanji. Right, our childhood, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, basically. Jurassic Park Our childhood is directed by Joe Johnston for the most part. Yeah. The Rocketeer. You've never seen this before. No, this is the first time I had ever seen this. Tell me what you think. I don't know what to think still. Uh, It's sitting funny with me. Like, I don't hate it. I don't love it. I'm teetering. I need to be pushed in a direction. Okay. I I won't be able to help you with that, I don't think. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Now, you've seen this movie a few times, right? A bunch of times. And I've been like racking my brain of why do I know this movie so well? And why can't I remember a lot of it? Which is kind of a weird thing. That's a strange mixture of emotions. I know it well, but don't remember it. Yeah. I think I figured it out because I remember growing up with this movie. Okay. This is probably one of those way too young movies, but hey, it's a Disney. Yeah, it's PG. It's Disney. It's Touchstone, yeah. (laughs) But I remember this being like a big deal in my house growing up. Like, oh, we're going to watch The Rocketeer. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I like put this movie on a pedestal in my head for some reason. It's always kind of sat there like this was a special one. And I know that a lot of people have the nostalgic factor behind this one, but I don't think it belongs on a pedestal in my head, even though that's kind of where it is. Yeah. But I feel like it was one of those movies that like we had on VHS, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't the real VHS. It was oh. a taped version of it. Of course. And those are the ones that you really held near and dear, because you're like, I have it, but I don't. I'm a dirty boy. <laughs> Bootleg <laughs> copy of The Rocketeer. Don't record over it. I'm pretty sure that's what this one was for me. And I think that's why it like sits so well with me, like 
thinking back on it and watching some of the stuff that happened when I watched this movie again. I haven't seen this in who knows how long. I was just smiling ear to ear. Okay. Like I legit like missed it at a point too. Wow. Yeah, like man, this just kind of brings me back. Like Pure everything nostalgia. is coming back. It was incredible to experience that again. That's pretty neat. I don't think that we've hit a movie for me that does that yet, but I'm sure it'll happen. We will with Infinity War when we get there. When you saw that as a oh, wheel. I'm getting misty again right now. <laughs> Impressionable youth, Batman. man. When Batman gets dusted, oh, oh. moment. <laughs> <laughs> Why are people smashing that unsubscribe button? I don't get it. I don't understand. Oh, this I is amazing. <laughs> Want to get into this thing and figure out what this thing's about? This is a busy movie. Yeah, there's a lot that happens in this movie. So I say, yeah, let's get into it. Los Angeles, 1938. At an airfield. That's that's not how they talked. No, no, not at all. That's how I talk. Get into the spirit of 1930s. <laughs> the roaring 1930s. Los Angeles, 1938. Better. At an airfield, a flight crew is moving a new plane, the GB, <laughs> you do this the whole out way. onto the runway. <laughs> is that a challenge? <laughs> no, please God don't. <laughs> uh. Los Angeles, 1938. <laughs> At an airfield, a flight crew is moving a new plane, the GB, out onto the runway. The pilot, Cliff Secord, played by Bill Campbell, of all people. Sure. He's the hero himself. Everybody remembers Bill Campbell he, from all yep. those movies. From everyone, because of the hair and the leather jacket. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> his caveman-looking <laughs> forehead. He, uh, he cut his hair specifically to look like the comic book character, and that's how he landed the role. Hey, good for you. So Whatever works. You know what? Sometimes you got to make crazy choices like getting a haircut. Right. No, well, in this day and age, no one's getting that role. That's do, true. Do haircuts. That's true. Her Kurtz. <laughs> He's discussing the plane with his mechanic and best friend, Peavy, Alan fucking Arkin. He is incredible. I think his character look is incredible. Yeah. I don't. It's. Do you know what I thought immediately when I saw him? I was like, oh, that's Robert Downey Jr. in 20 years. You think so? No. He'll be lucky to look that good. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> he just looked like an old Tony Stark to me. He kind of does. He's got like the bit of a crazy hair. He's got the mustache. And he's just very cool the whole time. Yeah. Like yeah. he's This is a an old man, young man situation, like a Doc Brown, Martin McFly. But this one isn't creepy. And yeah. it works. Yeah. There's no weird like... Wait, why are these two hanging out? It's like, oh, okay, yeah, no, this this checks out. He's a cool These are dude. work associates. Yeah. Perfect. Cliff and Peavy intend to use the GB to compete in a national air show. But first they got to, you know, test the plane out. So Cliff sticks a piece of Beeman's chewing gum on the tail of the plane for good luck, as you do. And he takes off yep. to test out the plane. It seems easy enough, but I really like how the chewing gum thing is like a thing. Yes. It's fun. Yeah. I it's like- It's a really cute touch. Yeah. It's uh, it gives it a little bit of heart. It's like, hey, these are real people. They got their their quirks, and then it ends up being like a thing later. So yeah, <laughs> there's like a reason for with it, good which writing. Is even things come back. You it's know? nice. Hey, hey, look, we're gonna introduce this thing, and then later come back to it. Whoa, neat. You guys are human geniuses when it comes to writing. Meanwhile, a duo of gangsters are engaged in a gunfight with the FBI while fleeing in a car with a stolen package. Cliff flies overhead, and a gangster shoots at the plane, because, you know, other things to shoot at. Cliff's engine begins to stutter as he maneuvers back to the runway. 
the gangsters arrive at the same runway, because again, small world, and they hide in a hangar. <laughs> We're going to talk more small world in a bit, but keep going. Yeah, this, this, this world I'm is going to get every second of it. so much smaller. Yeah, I can't wait. The driver, uh, a gangster named Wilmer, sees that his partner has been killed in the shootout, and he hides the stolen package and heads back out into the gunfight. Cliff's plane bumps into the car on the runway and crash lands. The mechanic crew gets him out alive, but he rushes back to retrieve a photo of his girlfriend before the plane bursts into flames. What did you think of that crash? It was pretty neat, actually. For being practical, yeah. that looked awesome, how it landed with the one with wheel. The, the one landing gear, and yeah, it was- And uh, then it just and eventually settled into place. Like, you see a human being in there. That's pretty neat. That's pretty phenomenal. Uh, and then Wilmer jumps out of his car and sends it crashing into a fuel tank, which causes a huge explosion. Yeah, and then you get an angry man, Angry Otis. Angry Otis. Uh, John Polito. This movie's loaded with people. It sure is. <laughs> this is a goodie. Uh, I really, really appreciate the way that this opening scene happens because it has like this soundtrack behind it. It is James fucking Horner. Yes. Ironically doing a scene about a plane crash. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a very whimsical soundtrack. And it actually reminded me a lot of the 80s like baseball movies with like the natural and field of dreams where you have that whimsy behind what's happening here which makes it feel grounded in reality but also fantastic at the same time exactly which is kind of nice and i know james horner did do field of dreams i do know that okay i don't know who did the natural it doesn't matter i actually That's saw people true. it was randy newman it was randy newman who did it yeah that makes sense robert redford <laughs> playing with the baseball <laughs> It's swinging a bat, getting shot by a bullet. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I actually saw people comparing <laughs> this soundtrack to Titanic, which is also- Also course, by James fucking James Horner. Fucking Horner. Yeah, it makes sense. And that's funny because when we talked about Avatar, we said that it sounded way too close to the movie Troy. Right. But that is so far removed from this James Horner. Yeah. It just shows like the range that this guy has. But like I was saying, you get this whimsical music playing and then you get like this high action sequence that's happening here where there's actual stakes with the characters. This character's not going to fucking die, obviously. He's the lead of the movie. Right. And we're only a few minutes in. The way in. it's shot is like really, really well done. <laughs> yeah. To show this character of like, I'm brave as shit, but I'm still human and scared. I'm going down. Right. Like he's he's wiping jet fuel off of his, of his goggles while he's trying to land this plane and yeah it's yeah uh, it, and he's in this like small little bubble and that's where he can see out of oh, and he man. has to punch a hole through it in order to like oh. everything visual about this opening is pitch perfect just watching him get into that thing and they put the the top on and it's just his head through that bubble i'm like oh no thanks yeah no, no i'm not all about that billy campbell is i'm not even like a claustrophobic person but i was like mm, no in 1938 you'd be claustrophobic that was nothing. That's Catherine O'Hara, Schitt's Creek. My favorite line in that entire series when they go, she has an indiscernible accent. <laughs> uh, it's like, yes, yes, nailed it. Exactly that. <laughs> so the FBI refuses to accept responsibility for Cliff's crash. They question Wilmer about the stolen package because he's, you know, laying on the side of the runway. And he's just like, it's blown to hell. So they find a metal device in the wreckage of the fuel tank, and they assume that, yeah, that's got to be the stolen package. They say good enough. That, that's that got to be it. That metal. That metal looks weird. It's metal. Wrap it up, boys. It's cylindrical. It was in the crash. It's got to be it. So they bring it to Howard Hughes, played by Terry O'Quinn. Terry O'Quinn. Yeah. Great Howard Hughes. Uh, phenomenal Howard Hughes. Who knew? Joe Johnston knew. 
He sure did. Or whoever did the casting. I, I like to think it's all Joe Johnston. Yeah. Once he gets his fingers on a movie, he puts his fingers all over that movie. <laughs> that sounds dirty. It, it gets dirty when you think what's going to happen later with the with the chloroform, but we'll get there. <laughs> it gets dirty uh, when you think about what's going to happen with the gum. That's right. Dirty, <laughs> dirty fingers. Real dirty fingers movie. Joe Johnson. Dirty fingers, Joe Johnson. The wheel of the wooden plane. You know, there's lots of dirty fingers. Los Angeles, 1938. We're watching a movie directed by famous director, Sticky Fingers, Joe Johnston. <laughs> Daddy Fingers, Joe Johnston. <laughs> How'd you film this movie, Daddy Fingers? I'll tell you how, with very dirty fingers. I got my inspiration from Howard the Duck in that one flying scene. I said, I, c- I can do it. Well, I mean, he did that flying scene, so. He did do the flying scene in Tower of the Duck. <laughs> Can't believe it either. <laughs> uh, oh, Dirty Fingers, Joe Johnson. Is he starting to feel like a one-trick pony? No, he's got plenty of tricks. He's got lots of fingers. That of very daddy. He did Jurassic Park 3. You know, the one with the plane. That's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, JJ, this is Dirty Fingers Joe Johnston. I hear you're making a, a TV show about a plane crash called Lost. Can I be a part of it? No? Okay. Uh, could you imagine JJ and DFJJ? He's <laughs> so good, wouldn't it? Ron Howard, I understand you have a movie about a plane crash with Tom Hanks in an island and a volleyball. Can I be a part of it? This is Dirty Fingers Joe Johnston. No? All right. Don't go void. Go Wilson. So- Bye. <laughs> Sorry, it doesn't take place in the, the 30s and 40s, so we don't really need you. <laughs> it's Howard the Duck. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> Howard the fucking duck. <laughs> so Howard Hughes is upset when he discovers that the device the FBI brought to him is an old vacuum cleaner, and he decides not to build a new device because the theft proves that the technology is just too dangerous. Yeah, and he thinks it's destroyed. Yeah. They couldn't find it. He said, no, well. Gone. No, Bye. Now skid off my back. <laughs> hey, JJ, this is Daddy Fingers <laughs> Joe Johnson again. I understand you're, you're casting Terry, Terry O'Quinn in your lost thing. You sure you don't want me? No? Okay, bye. <laughs> Cliff and Peavy argue with the owner of the airfield, uh, Otis Bigelow, like we said earlier, John Polito, who is holding them responsible for the damage to the fuel truck. And he offers them a clown act at his air shows to pay for the debt, which Peavy calculates would take like four years to pay off. Yep. It's pretty much college. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's worse. Wait, better? Well, no, it's better. Better. Weird better. How about that? But at 15 bucks a show. <laughs> I can't do the voice. I can't overdo it. <laughs> it'll, it'll go. We're going down a real dirty finger hole That's... if we do that. <laughs> oh, man. Those unsubscribe clicks. I keep feeling them. People are clicking I their dirty fingers. Either. It's amazing. So Cliff accepts the gig and puts his girlfriend's photo in the biplane cockpit because, you know, he's got to fly with with Jennifer Conley wherever he goes. And honestly, I would too. Her name's Janai. Janai. When he goes to sit down in the biplane, he finds something under the seat. It's the package that Wilmer had stashed. They open it to reveal a fucking jetpack. How about that? It's a small, small world. <laughs> How convenient. So naturally, they steal a statue of Charles Lindbergh to test out the rocket. Cliff decides that they should use it to make money instead of doing the, the clown act. And Peavy's like, I don't know about that because it's stolen. But then he gives in. After all, he's cool with stealing a statue of Charles Lindbergh. So. I mean, someone stole his baby. A statue is the least. I mean, it's not nearly as bad, right? <laughs> I guess. Cliff suggests they make a helmet after seeing the head of the statue destroyed during a landing. Fine. <laughs> 
I mean, PB's very good at making things, apparently. This yeah. is what he does. He's a builder, He's a dude. He's an airplane yeah. mechanic that can't make any money. Right. The leader of the mobsters, Eddie Valentine, played by Paul Servino. I think you meant Paul fucking Servino. This cast is unreal. It is ridiculous. The the heavyweights that they brought in for this. Whew. And Billy Campbell. And also Billy Campbell. Starring <laughs> Billy Campbell and all these names you've heard of. Oh, man. Eddie Valentine confronts the man who hired him, Neville Sinclair. Timothy fucking Dalton. Timothy fucking Dalton coming off of his run as James fucking Bond. Oh, my. Lanza. What is happening right now? Uh, Disney was like... Let's bring in the big names. And Billy Campbell. And Billy Campbell. <laughs> Which is funny because uh, they they wanted a big name for this. And then I think it was actually uh, Dirty Fingers that convinced them to go with Billy Campbell. I can't believe it. Because they, they were looking at Costner and uh, Emilio Estevez and Bill Paxton and Dennis Quaid and Kurt Russell and Johnny Depp. Emilio Estevez has the same hair. The same like, exact what are they hair. Doing? Maybe they were just casting based on hair. I don't know. It's possible. Disney really wanted to go with Johnny Depp, but... And apparently they offered it to Vincent D'Onofrio at one point, too. And he was like, no, I'm good. This is also like a weird time for Disney because this is right when they're having their animation explosion. And Jeffrey Katzenberg is at the helm of the movie studio part of it. Michael Eisner is still obviously the chairman, president, and all this stuff. And I don't care what anyone says. Read the book Disney War and you're going to see some fireworks in that book. It's really, really well done. Uh, a lot of things they say are false, but those are from Disney insiders. Obviously, they're going to say it's false because Walt's also not frozen, apparently. Ah, sure. Right? He's, uh, everybody needs to just let it go. Walt's not frozen. And the whole let it go thing was just a way for Disney animation with frozen to just push past the Walt frozen thing. And they said, let's put princesses in the word frozen. So we stop associating with Walt and we associate with princesses. I wonder if the whole reason they made that movie was so they could change the SEO on, on Disney frozen. That's exactly it. That's amazing. That's gotta be it. It's a, an expensive way to do it, but it worked. They're like, you know what? We make a smash hit movie that kids will be singing the annoying song from forever. And then people, it's true. when they Google, Walt Disney Frozen, they'll no longer find results about, you know, Walt. Walt Disney Frozen, right, <laughs> Uncle Walt. But Katzenberg had his fingers in everything here. He was uh, not so much the dirty fingers. Right. He was just uh, like just regular. Jason Biggs version of pie fucking when it comes to uh, his fingers in Sounds pretty dirty. Well, it was real sexy because of all the Disney princesses at the time. Because this is like Ooh. the big boom of the modern age. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is where, where they're animation blew up. Right. So the Rocketeer was, I'm not going to call it an afterthought. $30 million is not an afterthought. No. $35 million budget. That's what it was. But it's not animation at the time. So. Right. This movie kind of got put a little bit on the back burner. It seems like this movie was written backwards. Back burner. I see what you did there because he's got That's not a jetpack joke. Stop it. It really should have been. Stop it. Take the credit, man. I can't. I really can't. Uh, I'm going to give the credit to High West Whiskey out of Salt Lake City, Utah. <laughs> Fair enough. Drink High West. It'll make you funny. <laughs> High West makes your puns the best. That's what they say. Oh, that's what they always say. That was their 1939 uh, ad slogan. That's right. When drinking was legal in Utah. Yep. Everybody knows it. This is a weird movie. Like, everything about this movie is weird, and I want to talk about it after we talk about this movie, about what makes this a weird one. But yeah. let's keep going. Yeah. Weird time in Disney. Weird time. So Eddie Valentine confronts the man who hired him, Neville Sinclair, about the job going wrong. And Neville is none too happy about it. 
he yells at them and tells them to get the damn thing and negotiates a new deal with Eddie Valentine, basically saying, you know, get the damn thing. I'll pay you triple, whatever. And uh, he sends the right. mobsters off to find the device. He does. And he does this cool thing because he's like sword playing, trying to work on his sword skills, if you will. Right. And there's this cool thing where Eddie's got this like boutonniere. Yeah. With like a flower and whatnot. And he flips it off with a sword. It's pretty neat. It is pretty neat. He just, uh, it's very threatening. It is very threatening. Meanwhile, Cliff goes to pick up his girlfriend, Jenny Blake. Oh, Jennifer Conley. Just. Is she though? I think so. I, uh, like early Jennifer Conley always annoys me. Beautiful mind, Jennifer Conley is the tops for me. Okay. Okay. But early Jennifer Connolly, not not labyrinth early, but <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh... it just I call her like an open mouth actress. Okay. Like she's, she's got a nice set of pearly whites and she is not afraid to show them Suicide Squad Joker style. <laughs> <laughs> so she has a tattoo on her hand that she covers her mouth with? Right. And and weird enough, if you look into this movie in the uh, d- the commentary by Dirty Fingers Joe Johnson, the direct commentary, he says, oh, we had to work on covering her damage tattoo across her forehead. <laughs> she had to sit in makeup for three hours every day to cover up the damage tattoo. <laughs> I, I don't know. She's never really done it for me as like an actress. Uh, honestly, I always forget she exists until I see her on screen and go, oh, yeah. Oh, Jennifer Connelly. Cool. S- similar reactions, I guess. No, doesn't do it for me. She ne- like I appreciate what she's doing, but I don't know. I never like seeing her. I think we're, we're are we saying different <laughs> things? Because like I have not commented on her acting ability at all yet. Oh, I'm talking almost exclusively about her acting oh, ability. I, I am not. <laughs> minus the open mouth. I know you're not. I heard your wiener get erect and hit the underneath of your table. I'm gonna have to remove that sound in post. <laughs> now I just. I don't think she's great as an uh, actress. Paul Bettany does. But. He sure does. Uh, <laughs> what you just described is, the, is not the Favreau salute. It's the Ron Jeremy salute. That's correct. Welcome back to Orgasmo. So anyway, Cliff goes to pick her up. She's an aspiring actress who recently tried out for a part in a movie with, who else? Neville Sinclair. Small world. Such a small world. She tells Cliff that she wants to go see Sinclair's newest movie. It's an aviation film called Wings of Honor. And we saw the billboard for that sign earlier during the whole plane crash scene, yada, yada, yada. Right. At the hospital, Sinclair's hired muscle, Lothar, played by Tiny Ron Taylor, which, what a great name for a tiny Ron. And he's a giant of a man. I love how many giants of men have the nickname Tiny. Well, I mean, this guy's seven foot tall, and he's a monster in this movie. And the makeup they put on him looks incredible. The prosthetic lower half of his face. Holy crap. It's one of those things that, like, how can we make a man stand out for the rest of time? Yeah. This. Oh, yeah. And interestingly enough, I thought it was going to be Neville Sinclair himself until I saw how tall he was. He's enormous. But it's one of those things of this movie apparently got made because they wanted to ride on the coattails of Batman and Dick Tracy. Sure. And this look of Tiny Ron Taylor's Lothar is very Dick Tracy. Oh, very much so. So Wilmer tells him that the package is at the airfield in an old plane. So obviously Lothar kills him by folding him in half. Literally folding him in half. His feet Literally are by his Literally folding him in half, which, fantastic. Way to go, Disney. <laughs> it's the best. Walt was frozen uh, and also folded in half frozen. <laughs> After the movie, Cliff and Jenny have dinner at the Bulldog Cafe, where uh, Millie's there. She, it's Margot Martindale. 
famous character actress Margot Martindale. <laughs> uh, check out our Patreon episode later this month. Walk hard. She's also Ma in that movie. So Ma Cox. Ma Cox. I couldn't believe it. I was like, like when I saw her, I went, "Is that Ma Cox?" Jesus Christ. I was <laughs> so excited. Right I was like, character actress Margot Martindale, two movies in a row? How lucky am I? How about that? Cliff's friend or old man acquaintance, Malcolm, played by Eddie Jones. <laughs> another another character introduced. He uh, He's sitting at the, the bar and he lets slip that Cliff's flight earlier did not go well. Uh, right. Jenny gets pretty upset about that and she leaves angrily. Uh, these two have some relationship problems and honestly, Cliff's kind of a dick to her. Uh, Cliff's a big time dick to her. Cliff goes, have you seen me? I got a caveman forehead. Come on. (laughs) Come on. Do you see this hair? She goes, have you seen me? I'm Jennifer Connelly, according to Brian. And come on. Come on. (laughs) Come on. Come on. The next day, Jenny is performing in a scene as an extra on Neville Sinclair's new movie. Well, it's important to note because the night before, before the date, Cliff is kind of asking about this new role that she has. And she recites this line. Right. And she's like, I have a line, yada, yada. And Cliff goes, oh, good for you. And they do the line, yada, yada. Jenny wasn't exactly being truthful. I don't know that Jenny wasn't being truthful or if she just got, like, Mm. I I believe that she probably had a good audition, but then was replaced because the actress that got it was not very good. I I see what you're going with that. Let's get through this scene and we'll talk about it. Okay. So Jenny's performing her scene. She's an extra. And Cliff comes by to see her to apologize, but he ends up knocking over part of the set. (laughs) So good. Obviously, Neville is pretty pissed off about it, and he orders to have Jenny fired. He sure does. It's a closed set. Come on. Of course it is. Neville overhears Cliff talking to Jenny about the rocket and decides to find out what she knows. So he invites Jenny to be his date to the South Seas Club that night. Right. And this is kind of where my head goes with Jenny, is Jenny... I feel like is trying to build up her role in all of this a little bit more than it actually is because she wants to show off to Cliff. And I don't understand why. I think that's where it is of, I have this line. It's a closed set. You're never going to come. Oh, shit. You just knocked over half the set onto the lead of this movie? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I took it as she actually had the line. And then because of some sort of back end shenanigans, she got replaced and she's it's an arrangement, probably a producer sleeping with the girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think One of those I think they said it seems it, like it's that type of Hollywood. I think they said it was his niece. So I hope not. 1938. I can't judge. I wasn't there. Yeah, That's true. Yeah. Do what you got to do. It's 1938. All right, niece of mine. How do I know you really want this role? <laughs> OK, niece of mine. It's a dust bowl. But where? Gross. Yes. I. <laughs> the Rocketeer is a gross movie. Um. But no, I think she's mostly upset because nobody's taking her acting career seriously. That's fair. Back at the airfield, the stunt show is in progress. Cliff is late because, you know, he's knocking stuff over on a movie set. So <laughs> yes. Bigelow tells Peavy that if he doesn't arrive soon, they'll both be fired. Malcolm, the old guy from the cafe the night before, overhears this and he wants to help out his friend. So he puts on the clown costume and jumps into the old biplane. Right. Malcolm blew up his spot the night before and, and legitimately felt bad about right. it. Right. So he's like, oh, I it can... was terrific acting by this Malcolm guy. I can he's fix like, this. Ah, damn it. I can fix this. I'll clown, out, I'll clown around in the sky. It'll be great. Eddie Valentine and his gang are also at the airfield. They didn't find the rocket, but they did find the picture of Jenny that Cliff left in the plane, and they take it thinking she might know who has the package. Small world. Very, very small world. Cliff finally shows up just in time to realize what Malcolm is about to do, and he's worried because Malcolm hasn't flown a plane in over 20 years. 
Of course, immediately the biplane starts to stutter and smoke billows from the engine. So Cliff puts on the rocket to go rescue Malcolm. Peavy grabs a piece of gum from Cliff's mouth. You know, old dirty fingers. He literally fish hooked it out of there. Old dirty fingers, Joe Johnson and style. And sticks Brian it said. to the rocket pack for luck. Brian. Yeah. I want to talk about the costume. Let's talk about it. This, to me, is one of the most iconic costumes I can think of. It's um, it's definitely super familiar to anybody who's seen it. Anybody who's seen it or anybody? Because when I think about this one, like I think of the poster. Oh, the poster is one of the most iconic movie posters from the 90s, I think. And it's incredible. It's got this old Hollywood feel. It says the Rocketeer above, summer 1991, yada, yada. Art deco and has, look, and it's just so Oh my so God, it's gorgeous. I always said- in the fortress, if I ever start a movie poster wall, the Rocketeer is going to be probably the first poster on the wall because that's how amazing a poster this is. And when you see this, you see Billy Campbell, and he's not a little guy at all. He's six foot four, and he is wide. He's yeah. a big, big guy. Yeah. And he puts on this helmet that reminds me a lot of Ant Man, weird enough. Oh, it kind of does, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. And you see this leather jacket that just fits the time period so perfectly so perfect. with the jetpack on. He's got the pants. He's got the high boots as well. Like everything about this costume works for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all, it all seems so practical. It's amazing. Except it for maybe like the a helmet. Superhero. The helmet seems a bit out there and that's totally fine. But it's, it's totally fine. And it's so stylized and it has the rudder on it for steering and which is a brilliant practical use to have that kind of stylization to a helmet. It's just, it's so cool. This to me personally, Dave speaking is one of the most iconic movie costumes of all time. Wow. To me, without a doubt. I mean, yeah, that checks out. This is a, a I'm going to put this, no, I'm going to go wilder with it. I'm going to dive even a little deeper with this. I'm going to put this next to Dorothy's Ruby red slippers. Wow. Yeah, no, it's a biggie. I wasn't kidding about that. I'm going to put this next to, Paul Newman's Chiefs jersey in Slapshot, because I fucking love that movie. <laughs> and I think that, to me, is iconic as well. I'm going to put this next sure. to Indiana Jones, his fedora, and the leather jacket as well. And that's appropriate, because this movie exists. But uh, I mean, you had to get the idea we'll get from there. somewhere, Dirty Fingers. We'll get there. That's right. <laughs> but it, this, to me, I just I adore this costume so, so much. It's very cool. If I were into cosplay, I'd show up as this every year. I don't doubt that at all. So Cliff blasts off in the rocket, saving Malcolm just before the biplane crashes. Then he flies over the city, eventually crash landing in a pond where Peavy finds him. Yeah, he's flying through the air. He's falling off this plane right. in the air. He keeps uh, fine. He's accidentally he's like hitting the button and the, yeah. falling. And... He's learning the jetpack. Yeah. And I like that, how this thing doesn't seem perfect by any means. Right. And, that and the, crowd, nice touch. the crowd is loving it. And of course, Otis Bigelow is like, oh, it's all part of the show, folks. Yeah, but then the plane. And then the <laughs> oh, plane boy. crashes into another one of his gas trucks. <laughs> the gas truck that he said, park it away from the runway. I'm real clever. And then, boom. So great. It's so good. What a good gag. So PV finds Cliff and the pond, and they uh, they see cars coming. They think it's news reporters. So Cliff uses the rocket pack to push PV's truck away super fast. And then it turns out that the cars actually belong to Valentine's gang, who now knows somebody has the rocket. Right. Yeah. Welcome to the complicated part of this movie. Yes. So a bunch of reporters are questioning Bigelow for information about the flying man, and he coins the name Rocketeer after a few failed attempts, like Rocket Boy and Rocket Man. Sure. Because I think it's going to be a long, long time. <laughs> did you shatter it? I did. I love it. <laughs> uh, 
The newsboys love it, and the Rocketeer is front-page news. Neville Sinclair reads the paper and is outraged. Howard Hughes also sees the paper and is upset that the FBI failed to reclaim his invention. Naturally, the FBI agents go to talk to Bigelow about the Rocketeer, only to find him murdered in the same way as Wilmer, folded in half. Folded in half. <laughs> Before he died. What a calling card. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like Kingpin leaves a, a rose and Lothar just folds people in half. Folds them literally. in half. That is extreme. Before he died, Bigelow wrote down a note on a pad of paper, and it's uh, Cliff and Peavy's address. So these two Oops. live together. So that's a little more weird than what we said earlier. It is. Uh, but it's also but where Lothar still, is heading. Yes. He arrives and confronts Peavy and Cliff about the rocket, which they've hidden. The FBI also arrive at the same time, and then Lothar open fires on the FBI agents. Right. They've hidden the rocket under a lamp. Yeah, it's a lamp. It's, it's it like, looks like it's part of a lamp at this point, so he obviously can't see it. If this were a Christmas story, <laughs> you would notice it instantly. The glow of electric sex. <laughs> uh, For Gile, it's Italian. Don't touch the fucking lamp. <laughs> yeah, this uh, they hide they hide the rocket like it's a drunk person at a party. Just got the lampshade <laughs> lamp on, shade on the head. <laughs> But basically, Lothar and the FBI fire at each other through the house and tear it to shreds. They do, but I have I have good news for you. What's that? If you're ever in this situation, this is a public service announcement to everybody out there. If you're ever in this situation where you're in a firefight with the FBI and you're firing out the front, just go out the back. Just go out the back door. Uh, the FBI Done. does not know that they should surround a place. They have no clue. <laughs> No idea. They're, they're front door only, FBI. It's what they're famous for. Uh, I was trying to come up with an acronym, but I couldn't. It was, it was front something. Uh, I, don't I know. was too. <laughs> <laughs> Cliff and Peavy escape out the back with the rocket. With Lothar. Everyone's going out the back door right now. Right. Lothar chases them. Yeah. Everybody's just going out the back. <laughs> it's really out the back door. Can't stress that enough. Uh. Oh, man. If this weren't such a good movie, some people would call this a bad movie. Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Jenny and Neville are at the South Seas Club, and who else is performing but Jan Levinson? Jan Levinson Gould, but we don't know what happened to Gould. Is Gould dead? (sighs) Who knows? It's one of my favorite lines from the office. (laughs) Gould dead? Gould dead. (laughs) Malore Harden. Yes. Yeah. Uh, She's here without an ass turd. It's great. (laughs) Uh, that uh, surprised me a lot, actually. When I saw, I was like, "Wait a minute, is that Jan?" The first thing that happened when I saw her sing, I said, "What happened to Gould?" <laughs> like that's just what goes into my head every single time. That's amazing. Jenny is really enjoying being Neville's date. She meets a number of his celebrity friends, like W. C. Fields and others, and others. Neville excuses himself to have a meeting with the club's owner, which turns out to be Eddie Valentine. How about that? Uh, it's a small world. A, I, I don't know if you've heard. the smallest of worlds. Eddie is not happy about Wilmer's death or about Neville romancing some dame while he's doing all the hard work looking for the rocket. Right. That sounded sexy. It needed to sound. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> he's looking for some dame while you're looking for your rocket. Blast off. Blast off. Cliff and Peavy hide out above the Bulldog Cafe. PV finally convinces Cliff that he needs to return the rocket back to its rightful owners, the FBI, I guess. Cliff is about to call the FBI when Valentine's thugs come into the cafe. They demand to know where Cliff is, 
having no idea what he looks like and not knowing that they're literally talking to him. Yeah, of course. That's usually well, these FBI guys are like aloof too. They're idiots. Yeah. Well, these are Valentine's thugs. That oh, that's right also. This is all complicated. Yeah. It's very hard to tell when you have the FBI who are in nicely dressed suits. Yes. And the mobsters who are in nicely dressed suits. Right. <laughs> and you kind of wish for like a bloods and crip situation <laughs> so you can go. Oh, red and blue. This is easier. This is easier to tell apart. Yeah, yeah. So, wait, are these the good white guys or the bad white guys? You don't look Italian. You look Polish. It's, so you must be. You're FBI. Right. I got it. That's what I got it. Your name is. That's your exactly name is Wolinski. Is. All of the. How about <laughs> there it is. That's an actual character in this movie. Nailed it. Yep. And all the <laughs> so Italian it's... guys are bad guys. We figured it out. <laughs> oh boy. Also, it's it's 1939. So every person in this movie is white. Of course, good, uh, black people weren't invented until 1940. Of course, as we all know. Valentine's thugs go so far as to torture Peavy for the information, pressing his face- they put his head on a fucking grill! Real close to a grill, but not quite on it. They're going to make a Reuben if his name is Reuben. Like, but it's a Peavy. Uh, they, it's totally different. They almost stick his face right into some sautéed onions. Uh, he would taste delicious. It must smell a real so delicious good. Alan Arkin. <laughs> they call that a Little Miss Sunshine. That's yeah. the, oh, the sandwich name. Nailed it. One of them recognizes a photo of Jenny on the wall as being identical to the one they recovered from the plane. So they call the number on the photo and find out that Jenny is out on a date with Neville Sinclair. It's How about a that? Small That's a small, small world. After all. <laughs> Cliff and the cafe patrons attack the thugs and subdue them, I guess, or knock them out. They do something. Knocking out people is real easy in movies. I don't know if you've noticed. Did you hit them over the head with anything? Anything. You're going to drop. And they just. This is not a Favreau salute. But if you go, bang, that's how it goes. That checks out. For the most part. 1938 Hollywood, man. Now, when you say that's not a happens. Favreau salute, was that a Ron Jeremy salute? It was not. as It was me, Dave, hitting the table. Oh, okay. From the top side. I'll tell you if it's underhand. I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll let you know. You're not going to get an underhit on this movie. No. Nope. You're not going to get one from me. No. Uh, what? Little, little Patsy? Billy Campbell's Geico caveman forehead. Might get me an underhand. Uh, what about Margot Martindale? She's a saint. We can't talk about that. That's like talking about Mother Teresa and jerking off to her. It's just weird. It's just weird. Margot Brian. Martindale is Stop it. the biggest badass in all of BoJack Horseman. I need to watch BoJack Horseman. Yeah, you do. Simple as that. Cliff puts on the rocket, vowing to return it as soon as Jenny is safe. Peavy notices that the rocket is leaking, but with no time for repairs, he pries off the chewing gum that he put on the rocket earlier for luck and patches the hole. It came back. I love Storytelling, it. baby. I love it. So good. Cliff infiltrates the South Seas Club, posing as a busboy, you know, with a busboy jacket on over his leather jacket. Nobody notices. How amazing <laughs> is that moment? Oh, it's- You um, see his leather jacket underneath the busboy outfit, and you see him looking really uncomfortable about it, and- Man, that to me just landed. It's uh nobody cares at all, and I love it. It's the best. So he brings complimentary soup to Neville and Jenny, leaving her a note and accidentally spilling water on her to get her away from Neville. Cliff tells Jenny that his boss Bigelow is dead, and the people who killed him may also be after her. Right. Jennifer Conley just opens her mouth <laughs> and doesn't do anything. Uh... <laughs> doesn't do anything. <laughs> I don't, uh, it's one of those, like, I'm going to believe you because your haircut, you got it for the role, so you're committed, I guess. Yeah. I, uh, but, well, he also, I don't know what to believe right now. He also swears that he's just looking out for her best interest. He's not jealous. She needs to go right. stay with her mother for the of next course. few days, you know. 
all that. That's always worked out for any character in any movie ever. Right. That's right. I was surprised when she was like leaving and going toward the bus. And then, of course, she doubles back because- There is no way <laughs> she was ever going to get on a bus. No, no, no way. possible way. Uh, she's not Marla Singer. Nope. Not at all. <laughs> and there is Marla Singer when you think about it. Listen to Patreon. Fight Club. <laughs> Boom. There you go. The thugs recognize Cliff and chase after him. He puts on the rocket that he stowed in the laundry room and hovers out over the ballroom of the club. Why? I don't know. So this is the dumbest scene in this entire movie. (laughs) By like a long shot. Because he's hovering around in a rocket pack, which they don't know how it works. It runs on alcohol, they say that, but so do I. So who gives a shit? (laughs) But it's one of those things of he's hovering around this ballroom, not going anywhere. Uh, Yeah, just getting shot at. And they say, oh, close the doors. We're going to trap him like a fly. It's like, right? why? Why? You can shoot this man. He's not flying anywhere. Shoot the man. Just shoot him. There's several of you with guns. Just It's Billy him. Campbell. No one's going to notice. <laughs> uh, Jenny stays, obviously, to watch Cliff fly because, you know, reasons. Well, it was kind of a funny moment because Cliff said, I'm the Rocketeer because he's in the newspaper. Right. Ring, and Jenny goes, who? What the, what the hell is that? <laughs> I really like that moment like, don't... because it was one of those like, oh, that's right. This movie took place in the span of two days. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Like, don't you read the paper? And she's like, no, I'm. Didn't you read Small World Times, I'm bitch? Busy. Come on. Get on it, Jennifer Connelly. Oh, <laughs> uh, I've been busy being romanced by Neville Sinclair. Right, with my no lines in my movie. <laughs> the thugs open fire, heavily damaging the club, obviously, because that's their move. Everything gets ruined by bullets in this movie, except for people. Right. Not a single person's hit by a bullet in this movie. <laughs> no, it's a very clean movie when you think about it. Disney. Yeah, th- that checks out. This is Uncle Walt Disney talking. Freshly thawed. Freshly thawed, so ignore my accent. <laughs> uh, don't shoot any of the actors. It's very bad, but shoot all the scenery you want. Oh, yeah. For the sake of storytelling. Shoot it all. Uncle Walt, out. <laughs> it's like a Seacrest out. Yeah, obviously. So Cliff escapes through the glass roof because, of course, it has one of those. It's a very fancy club. And that's when Neville finds out that Jenny is still at the club, and he chloroforms her. Yep. He sure does. Sometimes when you're going on a nice date at the South Seas Club, you just got to bring some chloroform with you just in case. Right. That's uh, I'm actually on Bill Cosby Wikipedia right now. <laughs> and he said that the inspiration Cosmopedia? for all of his crimes was the, uh, the Cosmopedia. It's written by Theo. And from 1971, he, he said, man, I can't believe it. That's when I got the idea for all my crimes <laughs> of chloroforming me back to my house. Uh, the Rocketeer. And that's what he named his penis. All of the banner ads on, on Cosmopedia are for Jello. <laughs> a Jello pudding pops. And Theo. Uh, and he's got a link to his Etsy shop where you can buy crazy sweaters. You can. It's absolutely incredible. It's a, a weird situation. Don't support him. Don't buy his sweaters. <laughs> yeah, that's where he got his inspiration from. It's famously well-known. Yeah, absolutely. So Jenny wakes up at Neville's place. He is claiming innocence, saying he's being blackmailed. But Jenny recognizes Sinclair is just reciting lines from his old movies. Which is awesome! He's an actor. Well, and she re- recognizes like early on in this movie when they're going to see a movie, and she says, I've seen all the Neville Sinclair's, yada, yada. And then she's picking out these different lines. Yeah. It's yeah. so good. It's like they planted you, things in the, the script. Good for you. To to bring back later. They thought about it. That's right. Real, How about that? Real neat when they do that. More movies should do that. More movies There's not enough movies that. that do that. Like, hey, we're going to drop hits early and then pay them off later. Ah, oh, man. Filmmaking's weird. So she knocks out Neville with a flower vase, obviously. 
and runs off. Because if you hit someone over the head once, With anything, they're out, they're out cold. Out cold. She discovers a secret room in his house full of radio equipment and a book with a swastika, because dude is a Nazi spy. Boom! There what? it is. Welcome to Act 3. What? Lothar attacks Jenny and subdues her. So Lothar subdues her without chloroform, because he's a good guy. Right. Right. At heart, I'd imagine. He's just a giant misunderstood. Misunderstood. Um, <laughs> we don't know that Monster. <laughs> Cliff returns to the Bulldog Cafe, obviously thinking that Jenny's off at her mother's and fine. And he finds that PV is missing. He gets a phone call from Eddie Valentine saying that they're holding Jenny hostage and they want to trade her for the rocket. Eddie Valentine's a very reasonable mobster. He is. He's got a set he, of like the way that rules, it Paul seems. Sorvino portrays it. He goes like, oh, he puts the phone to Jenny. Jenny says, hey, they got me. A, 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 and he says, all right, that's enough. Mm-hmm. But this is what you need to do. And this is what's going to happen. And if you don't do it, we're going to have to kill her. Right. And he makes it sound like it's like very business. Paul Sorvino is a fucking treasure. Yeah. Yeah. His delivery is just so fucking brilliant. I can't get over he it. He really makes it feel like it's on Billy Campbell at that point. Like, like it is. It feels like it's like. I don't want to do this. This is just the job. Hey, man, look. I don't have to tell you. I don't. This isn't how I wanted my night to go, but I need you (laughs) to come to the local observatory at 4 a.m. to bring me the rocket so I don't have to kill your girl. You know? Exactly. In terms of not how you want your night to go, it's one of those things of like, all right, I want to go to White Castle, but I didn't take a shit. Oh, there's these two girls playing battleships next to me, but this is how my night's going, (laughs) and I need to just roll with it. That sounds very familiar. <laughs> Deleted scene, Rocketeer, as we all know. Right. And then Neil Patrick Harris shows up. As Doogie Howser himself. The only thing missing exactly. from this movie. <laughs> that, I couldn't believe it either. Before Cliff can even react to the call from Eddie Valentine, the FBI agents storm the cafe and arrest him. Seemed easy. And they bring him to Howard Hughes. Yeah, because that's who the FBI brings people to in 1938. Of course. Uh, and hey, Peavy's there. And he's just happily going over schematics with Howard Hughes uh, over the, the rocket pack. They're buds. He's got a few improvements to suggest. Because yeah, we're in Act 3 and nothing matters anymore. Uh, <laughs> Hughes shows them this film that was snuck out of Germany. It's German scientists working on a similar but failed rocket pack. And also Nazi propaganda film that features rocket pack equipped soldiers flying out to other countries, including the United States, as an unstoppable airborne army. Right. Steaks. How about that? I guess that's what you can call them. Fine. Just well done steaks. In German, they call them steaks. Steaks, yeah. Cliff requests that he can use the rocket one more time to save Jenny. And the FBI is like, dude, for real? What are you? (laughs) (laughs) But they're also like, the Valentine gang is merely a hired muscle. They're working for a Nazi agent that they haven't been able to identify. And Cliff's like, oh, it's got to be Neville Sinclair. Because there's five characters in this and they're movie, like, oh, and he's one of oh, them. You're, Trust me, you're he's crazy. one of them. That's so silly. Neville's a famous actor. We just said that the guy that we're looking for is a famous actor, so it couldn't be him. Couldn't be him. Uh, and He's only the number three pole at the box office, according to this movie. Right. And then uh, Cliff escapes from Howard Hughes' factory by gliding on a prototype spruce goose. How good is that, though? Because Howard it even looks so at cool. it and goes, it does fly. Oh, it does fly. Son of a bitch. Like, that is neat. That is so that cool. That is awesome. I love it so much. I was much. also surprised at the dropping of Son of a Bitch in a PG Disney movie. Well, Walt turned over in his frozen grave. <laughs> Walt, Walt turned over in his freezer. <laughs> 
He was like, oh, no, my mojo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. How long is Walt going to pee for when he gets on Oh, man. That evacuation. That's is what take everyone forever. wants to know. Why hasn't anyone made this movie about Walt getting unfrozen yet? You have these oh, different movies about like Secret exists. Disney, like Escape from Tomorrowland or whatever it is. And why not does someone just fuck it, go for yeah, it? I think we should write a movie uh, about a, a filmmaker that gets unfrozen years and years later. Uh, his name is Dalt Wisney. <laughs> of course. Uh, obviously, these characters are fictional and not based on any any kind of similarities to actual living or dead people are merely coincidental. Of course. And that's why <laughs> in, in this version of this story, he hates the Muse. Oh, God. It's <laughs> my least favorite Pokemon. A, exactly. That's what he's all Fuck about. Muse. I'm Uncle Walt, and I'm all about the 90s Pokemon. <laughs> It does Muse does not rhyme with anything. That's why he went with it, uh, right? Wink, ding. But <laughs> let's we'll, we'll write this. That, this is that fine. Dalton Wisney. Lloyd Kaufman's our new best friend. That's true. So he might appreciate this. Cliff meets up at the observatory where Neville Sinclair and the Valentine gang are. He asks Valentine if he enjoys working for a Nazi. Valentine is shocked, but Sinclair is like, "Come on, that's crazy." And Jenny's like, "No, no, no, it's true. He's a Nazi. Uh, I saw his radios." And his, his Nazi book. And then Valentine's like, it's true. What? 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 And then he's like, oh, well, I'm not going to work for no Nazis because like, I love organized crime, but I love America more. And he turns on Sinclair. It's true. But then the FBI is like, man, we're working for a guy who's making a plane called the Spruce Goose Step. And how are we supposed <laughs> to do this? Why is it so confusing? Uh, but yeah, it's um apparently it was actual thing. Like the biggest help the government had back in that time was organized crime rooting out these Nazi spies. Pretty neat. I like it. Pretty fascinating to learn that. But Sinclair is prepared for the betrayal, and a team of German strike commandos emerge from the bushes, and a German Zeppelin appears over the observatory. That no one saw. Griffith Observatory, which is famous for <laughs> James Dean movies. And, and bam, here we go. Flying over Los Angeles, big fucking Zeppelin with a Nazi logo. Like, the swastika. Well, you know, branding is important. Now, here's the thing about 1991, is this is way back in the day, and movies just fell apart in the third act. Yeah. <laughs> Famously. Everyone yeah, knows that. Yeah, that was the 90s. It's like, all right, we got two exactly. thirds of a good movie here. Let's see how we can ruin it. So the FBI arrive and order everyone to drop their weapons. Everyone's there already. So the FBI's there, but then they arrive at the same time. The FBI What's wasn't happened? there yet. Who? Oh, boy. You're right. Okay, so now you have the FBI. You have- the German, the mobsters, yeah, and you have the Germans, and Neville Sinclair, the Rocketeer, and Jenny. You have right. the whole gang right. here. Okay, oh, everything just just came together, but in a messy way. Yeah, it's like it's like rings of of you have Neville in the in the middle, surrounded by the people that want to kill Neville, surrounded by the people that want to kill the people that want to kill Neville, surrounded by the FBI. Right. It would be like if you're going through, it's a small world, and at the end they said, Oh, fuck, we forgot Australians! And they just make a small room at the end or something like that of just didgeridoos. Uh, just an just army of 5, didgeridoos. 5,000 didgeridoos. <laughs> that's what it was in Walkhard, yes. But that's pretty much what this feels like. The Germans try to evacuate, so the feds and the gangsters open fire on the Germans. They warn each other to keep the fire away from the Zeppelin because it's full of hydrogen and very flammable, highly explosive. Question you, is it? Absolutely. Okay, we're, we'll get there. 
Oh, I mean, in theory, <laughs> yes. Uh, in actuality. <laughs> sort of. So, like, in real life, 100% yes. Very explosive. In movie life, uh, we'll see what happens. Only when it's dramatic. Neville takes Jenny hostage aboard the Zeppelin, certain that Cliff will bring the rocket to him. Cliff blasts off toward the Zeppelin. Lothar attacks Cliff on top of the Zeppelin, held by a suspension cord, and Cliff knocks him over the side where he dangles helplessly. Right. He goes inside the Zeppelin to find Neville holding a gun to Jenny's head. Seeing no other choice, he takes off the rocket. But before he slides it over to Neville, he slyly removes the gum that Peavy put over the bullet hole. It came back again! Ah, got him! Three-time comeback. Oh, Perfect. Look at that gum. I love look it. Look at that gum. The best. Look at that gum. Cliff and Neville struggle, and Jenny tries to assist with a flare gun she found in the storage compartment, which obviously causes a fire to break out in the cockpit. Yeah, because Jenny. Because Jenny. What are you doing, Jenny? Jenny. Neville Sinclair decides to fly off with a rocket, but the fuel leak causes him to burst into flames and crash land into the Hollywood land sign, destroying the last four letters, obviously, because... Fucking brilliant. Wink ding. Hey. hey. Big time. The best part is... I love it. The best part is, is the last thing he says is, I'll miss Hollywood. And he does, because he hits land. Because he hits the land! Uh, uh, land ho, baby. Land so good. Ho. Neville and the rocket are obviously destroyed. Good. Good rinse. Cliff climbs back onto the top of the Zeppelin with Jenny, and he's like, well, I think we're pretty much screwed. And then Lothar shows back up to fight Cliff again, because, you know, why not? Because Die Hard we, happened years ago, just and the blonde guy came back at the Not end let this movie end, for whatever reason. Yep. The explosions from the Zeppelin cause all three of them to run, but Lothar, uh, yeah. the poor guy, is still held in place by that tether, and he gets blowed up. So the good news about gas is that it doesn't explode all at once, apparently. Nope. It explodes in a very cinematic way. <laughs> in sections. like in when segments. Like when, whenever the lights go out in a uh, scary movie, it's like just one section at a time. Right. Whatever's convenient. I'm not kidding when I say this. It's kind of like a Who Framed Roger Rabbit moment where Roger Rabbit has his handcuffs on. Listen to the June Patreon when it comes out. Uh, when he has his handcuffs on and he's like, oh, you can remove those anytime. Only when it was funny. And here it's like, <laughs> yeah. only when it was dramatic. Only when the drama required it. <laughs> oh, man. This annoys me. So, PV and Howard Hughes fly up and Hughes prototype auto gyro, and they dangle a rope ladder down for Clifford and Jenny to escape right before the sure. Zeppelin blows up completely. Because drama. Yeah, of course. So, everybody's safe. And the next morning, PV reads a newspaper. The FBI covers up that Neville Sinclair was a Nazi. They say that he was killed with, from debris from the Zeppelin. Cliff, Peavy, and Jenny go outside, and of course, Howard Hughes is delivering them a, a brand new plane, a new GB. Of course. And he's like, uh, here, you can have this, Cliff, because thanks for getting my rocket pack back, but not or actually destroying it, and destroying it or whatever. We all, yeah, I, I like that he destroys it more than he got it. I, I completely agree. Uh, Cliff is so stunned that he can't even say thank you to Howard Hughes. And then Jenny reveals that she stole the schematics for the rocket pack from Neville Sinclair's house. So Cliff and Jenny start making out while Peavy rambles about his plans to rebuild the rocket pack with a variety of improvements. And that is The Rocketeer. The Rocketeer from 1991, directed by Dirty Fingers, Joe John. Dirty Fingers. Brian, I love this movie so goddamn much. It's, I can't describe how much I love this fucking movie. It's interesting, for sure. The third act is a disaster yeah. in one of the best possible ways. Yeah, yeah. And I say that because... It's a small world. It's the smallest of worlds. Like this all. But is that a bad thing? Happens. It's one of those things of when we have 
small worlds. We've had small worlds before. And the biggest thing that's coming to mind when I think small world is Captain America, the Winter Soldier, <laughs> where things just happened to work out and there's convenience for convenience sake. But in here, everything is set up and it pays off. That's true. And there's there's reasons for Neville Sinclair. To, I mean, they might not be believable reasons, but there's reasons for him to be tied up with Jenny and it's all connected. And Exactly. It's one of those things of this here, it doesn't need to so much have a reason as much as it just is and you have to believe it. Right. And to, I, I get that the third act in this movie is very, very weak. I very much get that. But the first two, the first two acts here are insanely strong. Oh, I totally agree. And yeah, the Nazi thing is kind of a, I mean, you see it coming a little bit. And then when it happens, you're just like, all right, let's just get this thing over with. Yep. You had something kind of fun going on, and now you're just going to sell out here. And the Rocketeer is barely rocketing, and that's not the point. Yeah, the th- I get it's that. It's the third act. Nazis. Nazis. <laughs> that's what all great movies How do, do we bring right? this home? Oh, well, I have an idea. Have you thought about <laughs> Nazis? Famous Nazi Walt Disney. That's how he would do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> the views expressed by Dave are not necessarily shared by... <laughs> That's not true. We're a team. Yeah, but I'm trying not to be part of that lawsuit. (laughs) I do understand that this movie has its holes. I totally get it. I more than understand it. But man, this is just enjoyable. I think I'll appreciate it a lot more on my next viewing of it. Because at certain points, it does get confusing, like who is who and who is where. There's so many people. There's so many different teams coming in and what teams are working with who. Right. So it's a little complicated that way. But at the same time, even though you have all these different characters and groups coming into this movie, you could still follow it pretty well. And that's a testament to Joe Johnson yeah, yeah. and storytelling and directing. I mean, when it was all over, I understood good. what happened. So, Hey, that's a movie. There you go. That's good for you. Yeah. I love this movie. I really, really, really love this movie. And I'm okay with the shitty third act. I think that it is so enjoyable. It's funny because me and you both watch Buckaroo Banzai. Yeah. After midnight is when we both started That's it at true. separate times, and we both fell asleep a little bit and missed stuff. I missed and to watch it again. most of it. <laughs> With the Rocketeer, I started after midnight again, and this thing just wouldn't let go of me. I was having such a good time watching it, smiling, misty-eyed at some points from nostalgia. This movie is fucking brilliant, and I love the small world aspect. That's a weird part to love. I feel like that's that's a part of it I accept. I don't love it. Think about all the movies that have a small world. It's a funny thing because you never mentioned the word convenient once, and you should have. Oh, absolutely. There's you a lot have of said convenient it a things. Thousand times. Well, we were saying small world is, is instead. <laughs> it, well, don't don't substitute because they're not the same thing. Because convenience just happens out of no, out of left field. If you want to go field of dreams, James Horner style, <laughs> but. With this, the small world, it's built around Los Angeles, 1938. Right. 1938, Los Angeles. Population, seven. Exactly. And there's seven characters. <laughs> no, but um, this movie plays out in the sense that you have two full days of things happening, but you have these small groups of everyone just searching for this rocket pack. Everyone lives within the same world within this movie. Yeah. There's nothing outside of the boundaries of what's set up here, which is amazing to me. This movie tells a small world story so well where it just works. Yeah. Well, everybody has similar motivations, so it makes sense that that they're 
closely but tied together. But that's the way to do a small world exactly. movie. That's the way to do something convenient. Exactly. This movie absolutely crushes the small world of it. I adore the way this movie's told. Yeah. It's uh I like it. I, I think I need to watch it again to really truly appreciate it. And that's okay. Liking it is a really good spot to be after the first viewing of this thing because the I mean a third act could really turn you off. Yeah. Oh for sure. But no, I, I didn't I didn't mind it. This movie does it for me. I love this movie so much. Yeah. Well, it's got a serious nostalgia factor for you too. It really, really does. People it doesn't have a serious nostalgia factor for is Rotten Tomatoes. Where do you think this thing's going to land? Oh, I have no idea. Let's say 65. Let's say 65 as well. Oh, really? Nailed it. No shit. Yeah, and the audience score is also 65. Okay. Well, that's uh, so, unanimous. So uh, you rocketeered. I did it. <laughs> I did. Well, you know, it's a small world, so. Uh, you knew it. You knew everyone who had seen this thing, so you talked to them and you got 65. And I was like, yeah. you know what? I'd say 65% of the people in this world thought that it was a good movie. Roger Ebert. He saw this bad boy in 1991, and he gave this a three out of four stars. Respectable. He says, the hero of the Rocketeer is being marketed as a new action hero along the lines of Indiana Jones, but the difference between this movie and the indie series is fundamental. Raiders of the Lost Ark took the Saturday afternoon serials of the late 1930s and 1940s as an inspiration, while the Rocketeer takes them as a model. Hmm. Indy kitted them. The Rocketeer copies them. The movie lacks the wit and self-mocking irony of the Indiana Jones movies, and instead seems like a throwback to the simple-minded, clean-cut sensibility of a less complicated time. Yeah, I agree with that, but I think it's fine. I completely agree. It's one of those things of I think Ebert liked the self-irony of Indy, and I think he yeah. particularly points to Raiders of the Lost Ark when you got the guy flipping the swords around, yada, yada, and just shoots right. him. I think that's the moment that really stands out to me that Ebert would really like, but the Rocketeer does copy him because this does feel like a 1930s serial. Absolutely. Of, then this happens. Then this happens. Then this happens. Then this and then happens. the Nazis show up. Exactly. Yeah. It's the big finale. So it does feel like that. Definitely. Definitely. And I think, I think it's a brilliant homage to that. Roger Ebert goes on to say, that doesn't mean the Rocketeer is not entertaining, but adjustments are necessary to enjoy it. You have to dial down to return to an age of innocence when an eccentric inventor and a clear-eyed hero could take on the bad guys with a new gizmo they dreamed up overnight. Or found. But yeah, it's... Um, or found. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can't go into it expecting it to be an Indiana Jones movie. You need to go, okay, this is... It's almost like a period piece in that... It is very much a period It's paying piece. so much of an homage to the comics of that day. And how beautiful is that? It's very appropriate. I like the way that he put that you kind of need to turn off yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And I think that is important to just movie watchers sometimes. I feel like too many people take movies at face value mm -hmm. for what it's worth and don't want to give the thought behind it. Because, yes, The Rocketeer at face value is just very entertaining. Yes. That's really all it is. And is it mindless? Yeah, it is. I would agree with for that. For the most part. It is. But when you looked at the craft behind it, how you have things at the beginning of the movie coming back, it's very good screenwriting. It's very good acting for the most for part. Sure. It's shot really nicely. Except for Jennifer Connelly. It's one of those things of, how do you take a movie? It's kind of like, a, how do you take a coffee? How do you take a movie? Because this here is a 
turn it off and you're going to enjoy it. But at the same time, you can appreciate things that are under the hood. Yeah. On. Yeah. It's um, this is like a true escapism movie where you can just turn it on, tune out and just enjoy yourself. It's pretty nice. But at the same time, you can appreciate the craftsmanship. Oh, behind absolutely. It. This movie is like a fine fucking chair. Until, Ron Swanson until the style. third act. What are you going to call this movie? Chair. <laughs> All right. How good is this chair? It's great till the third act. <laughs> it's great to look at. It's great to, to feel. But once you sit on it, it kind of falls apart. It falls apart in the third act. When you get through the first two parts of, of what it is to be a chair. Or maybe it's even like until the sitting it looks part. great. You can sit on it. But once you try to get up, that's when it falls apart. Your back's going to hurt a little bit when you're done. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think by the third act, that's when you just need to sh- completely shut off. And that's okay. That is fine. Because at that point, I feel like the movie wants you to be completely out of it in the best possible yeah, way. I think that's how I take most movies, though, is I shut off and just try to live in them. And this movie very much wants you to do that. And that's okay. Yeah, that's allowed in this one, for sure. This is a great movie. I don't know which direction you fall at this point, and that's okay, too. I like it. I definitely like it. Liking it is totally fine. Hey, the, the way I always put it, you like what you like. That's uh have a reason for liking it, have a reason for not liking it. Don't just say it's fucking shit for the sake of saying it's that's shit. That's true. You you have to have a reason. This movie is the opposite of shit. This is to me. I like it because it brought back great memories of my childhood. And when I watched it again, I saw the craftsmanship behind the screenwriting and the storytelling and the directing and the acting and everything like that. Yeah. And I really like this movie. Bam. There's a lot of people who don't like this movie. Oh? I don't know who they are because they don't reside on Amazon.com. What? Where do they reside? <laughs> I don't know. They, this movie got a 4.7 out of 5 out of 1,000 reviews. Nice. It only has 1% on Amazon, and guess what those 1% are? Um, They're all, oh, disc was scratched. Nailed it. Didn't it did download right. Pretty boring, right? It was in Spanish. I don't know why. No, that's pretty much it. So since I don't have any one-star reviews for this movie, and there's, I, I tried finding some for like Raiders of the Lost Ark or something like that, because this movie is very comparable to that. Yeah, of course. There's nothing there, too, because that movie's damn near perfect. It's a great movie. I kind of have, it's a borderline big giant web, but it's a story about an actress who does fit our brand pretty well. Okay, go on. And she falls into old Hollywood big time. Perfect. Tallulah Bankhead. She's done such films as Alfred Hitchcock's Lifeboat. She's done movies like Main Street on Broadway and Devil in the Deep, yada, yada, yada. Those movies that just have names that you never hear of anymore. Who cares? But more famously... You know her as Black Widow on the 1966 Batman. It's Tallulah Bankhead. Oh. Tallulah Bankhead is looked at as a badass of Hollywood. How so? I'm going to read this from HistoryCollection.co. I was looking up things about old Hollywood because I was just curious to see what was possibly there. You have some stories about like Fatty Arbuckle who definitely killed a girl at (laughs) at one of his parties. (laughs) Uh, You got Charlie Chaplin who fucked the girls. The underagers. The little ones, yep. And famously, of course. And then Tulula Bankhead it was too scandalous to be linked to scandals. <laughs> what now? <laughs> so she was born into wealth and privilege. And she was mostly known as like a stage actress. She became some like a Hollywood extravagance in her lifetime. But she just didn't care what anyone thought. She gave zero fucks. The zeroest of fucks, because her father was an 11-term member of the U.S. House of Representatives and the Speaker of the House on two terms. But yet she enjoyed drugs and alcohol and didn't even try to hide them from anybody. (laughs) 
In one interview, she claimed that the only thing wrong with her was that she needed a man and it had been too long since she'd had one. (laughs) She had no children, but at least four abortions at a time when the procedure was illegal throughout most of the country. In 1932, she told an interviewer that she had only accepted a film part only so that she could sleep with Gary Cooper, though she had substituted a common four-letter word for sleep in that interview in 1932. Wow. Super duper. She apparently was not totally straight in 1932. And there were rumors of relationships with extremely famous actresses, Marlene Dietrich, Greta Garbo, and Hattie McDaniel of Gone with the Wind fame. She's never denied any of that type of stuff. She's in one interview referred to herself as ambisexual in 1930 fucking two. She got warned by her father to avoid men and alcohol when she was in New York. And she said, He never said anything about women and cocaine. (laughs) Because of all this behind her, she was never tainted by scandal. Instead, she kind of just welcomed it in order to just embrace it all. Sure. And another quote that she has from another interviewer is that she said, cocaine isn't habit forming. And I know because I've been taking it for years. I'm never going to get a chance to talk about Tallulah Bankhead ever again. Oh, my God. And this woman kicked every ass that ever existed. She sounds amazing and a visionary, really. She really was. Way ahead of her time. Amy Winehouse doesn't exist without Tallulah Bankhead. Wow. Yeah. Holy crap. Oh, man. That's fascinating. It is fascinating. It's like, I get that it has nothing to do with the Rocketeer besides old Hollywood, but- I'm so fascinated with Tallulah Bankhead. Old Hollywood. It's Personally. In, it's in the most appropriate time to bring it up because that's phenomenal. Let's give this thing a super stuff. Sure. Uh, but first, this is an actual IMDb trivia fact. Joe Johnston's dirty fingers were caused by... <laughs> Tiny Ron, who plays Lothar, and Max Grodenchik, who plays Wilmer, both became semi-regulars on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Well, all there right. You go. Uh, we took there you go. two people who are not a big part of this movie, and we said, hey, they're in a, they're in a Star Trek later. There you go. Star <laughs> Trek, may the force be with you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, one Trek to rule them all. That's what they always say. Yeah, let's give this thing a super stuff score. Why don't we do that? The Rocketeer. Uh, story and motivation. He finds a rocket, and everyone's after this rocket. But he's got to say everybody's got to go get that rocket. And his motivation, his motivation is to make money so he doesn't have to be a, a plane clown for four I don't years. Think it is. I really don't think that's the motivation. I think his motivation is to get the girl at the end, ultimately. But his motivation is just to do the right thing while he has the rocket. Yeah, but at the he time. wouldn't have had to go get the girl if he had just turned over the rocket to begin with. But we don't also know that because we didn't know that Howard Hughes was a good guy for a while. Until PV said he's a good guy. And then even he tells Howard Hughes, man, I got to use the rocket one more day. I'll give it to you tomorrow. Yeah. So uh, I appreciate that. This is one of those stories I'm going to go one. Uh, I'm going to remind you of the entire third act. I'm going to go point seven five. All right, 0.75. <laughs> Hero. Famous actor, Billy Campbell. Billy Campbell. Uh, he doesn't really stutter in the face of danger, does he? No, he's he's definitely, you can't say... Anything about his bravery. Can't do that at all. He, uh, he straps on that rocket and does the thing he's got to do. Yeah, he's impulsive as all hell, which annoys me because that's just silly. Yeah. But also, PV's kind of 
annoying in the way that he holds back on a lot of stuff. So maybe it balances out. Yeah, PV does get a little obnoxious with like, no, we got to do this. We got to do we got to do the right thing. We got to steal a statue of Charles Lindbergh. <laughs> right. I'm going to go point five on this one. I think okay. I don't think it's any I higher. Think that's... I think that he's a he's a good hero for what this story is. But overall, where could he go from here? Right. That's yeah, that's a good point. Villains. Nazis are bad. One. Nazis are very bad. Neville Sinclair, he's an actor and, and, a, Nazi. and a Nazi. And they're double bad ooh. too. That's crazy. And then you get uh you um, get some mobsters who who turn into good guys later on. So Yeah, I I'm probably gonna land like 0.75, I, think, I, I think guess. That's fair. It's high, but it's not all the way yeah, up yeah. there. His motivation in fact, the Nazi thing almost makes it almost cheapens his motivation. It's just like, yeah, he's he's a Nazi. That was I that liked was when the he was just like I need the rocket I need the rocket I need the right. rocket and it's like you don't You're know like, why oh they're building up something kind of fun when they're you... building it and then they're like because he's a Nazi oh okay yeah but I mean that's got to be the thing for the time period what if he said like Hell Hydra <laughs> I would have been like totally different like, damn Feige <laughs> <laughs> and you see a little sperm Feige in Mama Feige's Grandma Feige's eye. <laughs> <laughs> twinkling there. I was gonna. Well, I was like, I got you. I got you. Nineteen thirty-eight. I got you. <laughs> it wasn't for any reason, dirty uh, wise. It was uh, you know clean why. fingers. <laughs> it's not what they call it. Uh, all right, parents. Uh, we don't know. We have no clue. Zero. Not an any idea. Female characters. Jennifer Conley. Y- yep. She is a damsel in distress, but she also can pick out lines from his movies that she knows she's using yep. on him. Which and is she gets that, that shot in with the, the flower vase there. Yep, but she's also a damsel in distress the entire the movie. The entire time. And she's the only female in the movie, really, other than singing Jan and character actress Margot Martindale. But we still don't know what happened to Gould. That's what bothers me. Still don't know. How to, what, I'm going to go zero. Right. I think that's fair because, yeah, she, she does not have a – she has moments, but they're nothing spectacular. Exactly. Setting. Los Angeles. The nineteen thirty eight. Smallest Los Angeles. It's actually Little Angeles. Little Angeles. It doesn't matter. It all works in this story. That's why. I'm gonna go one. I think they, they absolutely nailed the time period. Location, it could have been anywhere. Not a whole lot of airfields in Los Angeles that are connected to farms, which I found interesting. Right. There's it seemed a lot more rural than Los Angeles, but then again, I don't know what it was like in thirty eight. Whatever year it was, Hollywood so. man, Hollywood sign, the Hollywood sign. It was there, so it sure was. That uh, minimum. Let's go point seven five. I think you're right. Point seven five. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah, because I, I want to give it higher because they did such a good job with the time period, but I just didn't feel L.A. from it. Yeah, style and tone. It's a period piece, and it lands. It, it very much does. As you just said, I'm going to go one. Easy one. One is absolutely what that one deserves. One's a starting point, and it might even be a finishing point on this yeah. one. Music. James fucking James Horner. James fucking Horner. I love the music in this. Yeah. Uh, it's it's noticeable. It's there. It's it great. Was one it's of the whimsical and fantastic. First things I noticed about this movie, I was like, oh, okay. It really it does a great job of setting the tone. I'm going to go minimum one. How about that? I think one is the perfect place for it. Fair enough. I was going to go a little ridiculous, and I appreciate you <laughs> pumping the brakes. Reeling you into a perfect one. One-liners. There's not a whole lot here. I really can't think of any. Like, the only line I have in this entire movie is at the end when he says, it's close to I'll ever be to heaven. And it's like, who gives a shit about uh, that? That's nothing. Yeah. That is you just trying to find something. That was here. like a cute moment, but it, yeah, there's no. 
I'm going to go zero All here. Right. There's nothing. We will here. go zero. And finally, impact on the genre. The genre being Dave is a four. <laughs> but the genre being yes. uh, the comic book superhero genre, I can't call it small. Mm. Yeah, it's... Because this one came out in a weird time because it did come out two years after Batman 89. Batman 89 obviously has one of the biggest impacts on the genre there right. is. But this showed you don't need to have a superhero. Yeah, this this was this was like... Hey, you don't have to have an established property. You can do your own thing, even though it was based on a comic book, but it was way lesser known. Exactly. And I think just for the sheer nostalgia factor behind everything, I'm going to go one. Okay. Because even you hadn't seen this thing, but, but you knew was, it, and you knew the, the poster. poster the second I even said the poster. The poster, poster is, is huge. Um, all right. I'll accept the one. It feels high to me, but I'll allow it. I appreciate it. That one's for me. Yeah, absolutely. That That is... 100% for you on that one. Uh, that's going to give the Rocketeer a final score of 5.75. Of course it will, because we're landing in the fives all over the place right yeah, now. Yeah, well, I mean, we did give a 0. 0.25 to Fantastic Four, so. Deserved 0. 0.25. But everything <laughs> everything since Sky High has been in the fives, so. Oh, how about that? Brian, what are we talking about next week? Next week, we're back to the MCU. It's time to choose a side. Team Cap or Team Iron Man, so. We are talking about Civil War. I am so curious to see which side people land on with this one, because Civil War is one of those movies that you can pick a side. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Very exciting. And there's really no wrong answer. So it's- There isn't. And we're going to see some old friends, and we're going to meet some new friend. We sure are. Uh, Two new friends. Until then, be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Throw us a five-star review if you're if you're feeling generous. Feel generous. Please feel generous. Please feel generous. It, it really helps us out. You can like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Cape Podcasters. You can subscribe to our Patreon where we do exclusive non-super movies and we do comic book reviews with our show The Pull List and Batman the Animated Series with Batman Animation. All sorts of content going up on the page. Oh, yeah. It's nonstop, really. And the brackets are going to be moving there once the whole quarantine's over. The brackets, we're giving you guys because we're all stuck inside. And there's no yeah. such thing as, as not having enough to listen to. So Exactly. And uh, we do appreciate everybody who's already subscribed to our Patreon. And also, if you have any questions or comments or stories or anything like that, you can send them to katepodcasters at gmail.com. This week, we got an email from Shane Davis. Thank you, Shane, for sending an email. Uh, it's a long one, but I think we can we can paraphrase. He says a lot of really nice things about us, which I appreciate. Dave appreciates, but I don't think we need everybody to listen to all. You know what? Maybe. You know? <laughs> long story short, uh, I'm always right, and and Dave uh, is really good at defending shitty movies. <laughs> He's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> He also says that he, he really enjoys the movies we cover over on our Patreon, like Airplane. So, uh, you know, follow Shane and go over there and listen to the things that, that Shane says is, is really good because he's, he's not Trust wrong. Trust in Shane, damn it. Trust in Shane. If you don't listen to Patreon, you don't like Shane. And Shane's good egg, damn it. <laughs> but he says, recently we talked about Suicide Squad, and he agrees with, with Dave on this one that it is not Boom! a Boom! I got one! And, um... He he says it's it's very similar to other broken movies like Last Jedi, Age of Ultron, Golden Compass, divisive movies. Also very correct. Correct. Absolutely. He did have a question, though, while listening to the episode. 
he wanted to ask the experts, but he couldn't find any, so he's going to ask us. <laughs> That's what we're here for. <laughs> so now that we've gone over most of the iterations of Joker, uh, we still have the animated series, but we will get to that very, very soon. Real soon. His question for us is, is Jared Leto the first Joker in that universe of the DCEU? Of all the Jokers, he says they don't care for people. Uh, they have obsessions, but they don't really have like these loving emotions that they give to other human beings. Like in the animated movie, Assault on Arkham, Joker tells Deadshot that he doesn't like people touching his stuff. And he's talking about Harley. He sees her as a possession, which kind of encapsulates his persona perfectly. He's obsessive, but inhuman. He's not romantic, not even a little. So Leto, his portrayal is very emotionally linked to Harley Quinn. And it makes Shane question if this is the true Joker of that universe or if it's a title that gets passed down. And I think that's that's a good question. I think it's a very good question. Thanks, Shane, for submitting that. I've been thinking about it for two fucking days. So <laughs> thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's tricky. And the reason why it's tricky is because of Joaquin Phoenix. Yes. Oh, that's true. Where does that fall into the mix? Because is that even a Joker or is it just someone parading as Joker? There's just no possible way of knowing. For the right, most part. Right. And everybody that's claimed that the Joker is not part of the DCEU, uh, we don't know yet because there's still no so much that's up in the air in that whole universe. Exactly. And I think the thing that Shane might be right about is that you have Harley get dunked into the, the Ace Chemicals plant, a la Alan Moore's The Killing Joke, which is usually looked at as one of the more definitive origins of Joker. Correct. Uh, stay tuned for our next episode of The Pull List on Patreon. Boom. But uh, this might be the first iteration of Joker. Legitimately. I don't think Shane is wrong with that question. Like, the way that it works out, the Ace Chemicals thing adds up to me. Yeah. Yeah, that it makes sense. It's, uh, I think it's easy to try to dismiss some of the, the shortcomings of this version of the Joker by kind of hoping that he isn't the original Joker of this universe. Um, right. And it's hard to say if it's if it's decisions made by David Ayer or if it's decisions made by Jared Leto that, that make this Joker fall short. I mean, honestly, it's so open that they could introduce an earlier Joker, but I think it's pretty well established that this Joker and Harley Quinn are the ones responsible for, spoiler, uh, the death of Robin. So he's definitely been around for a while. That adds up. That adds up. And one of the things that blows my mind with what you just said was David Ayer said that there's a lot more Joker that was on the cutting room floor. Yeah. And then you have a lot of people complaining that there's not enough Joker in the movie, but then a lot of people saying what is there is fucking garbage. Why do these people want more Joker it's, if he's fucking right. garbage? That is troll mentality, folks. Suicide Squad's not that bad of a movie. I'm going to keep fighting that fight. Yeah, you sure are. Um, I Honestly, it's not as bad as it gets credit for. It is reviled like it's Nickelback and Guy Fieri, who both also don't really deserve all the hate they get. But, you know. They deserve uh, some of the hate they get. It was Not all the hate they get. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it was a movie that was popular to hate on. And that's, I think that became a thing on its own. And it's unfortunate. But there's also. It is. Obviously, there were shortcomings with the movie. But uh, as far as the Joker goes, I think until we hear otherwise, he is the Joker of the DC. Completely agree. So thank you for that email, Shane. And uh, hopefully, I don't know if that's what you wanted to hear, but <laughs> I, I, we're not the experts. So. That's that's true. And you said as much. 
Perfect. We nailed it. You're the best. <laughs> Crushed it. If you have any questions, send them to kpodcasters at gmail.com. So I guess we're going to see you next week for Captain America Civil War. Oh, same pod time. Same pod. Dirty fingers. So, Dave, that's the Rocketeer. What do you think happens after the credits? What I think happens after the credits is we get a weird flash forward Ooh. to a Hollywood studio, Disney specifically, in the, in the late 1980s. And you have Daddy Fingers Joe Johnston there, <laughs> and he's pitching a movie to Jeffrey Katzenberger and Frozen Walt. <laughs> and he says, look, this is who I've got in my movie called The Rocketeer. Terry O'Quinn as Howard Hughes. Oh, that's very good. That's, that's terrific. Paul Salvino as a mobster. Oh, that's, oh man, you're crushing it. <laughs> Joe Johnson, you're crushing it. Timothy Dalton. Yeah, I know we just played James Bond, but he's here now too as Neville Sinclair. <laughs> Joe Johnston, you are a legend. Who else could you put in this movie at all? This is incredible. I have Jennifer Conley and Alan Arkin. Oh my God, Joe Johnston, you're a fucking genius. <laughs> you must have a gigantic lead. I do. It's Billy Campbell. Walt's frozen body rolled over in his frozen grave. <laughs> and Jeffrey Katzmer went, who? Her? Fade to black. Oh, Brian, wow. what do you think <laughs> happens so post-credits? I think... We cut back to the Bulldog Cafe, and character actress Margot Martindale is cleaning up, you know, Millie, the, the waitress, uh, after the events that have happened. She's cleaning up, and uh, as she's cleaning the counter, a patron walks in. He sits down at the counter, and he's like, uh, what, what's your specials today? And she goes through the list. She's like, oh, we got this. We got this. We got a special appetizer today, uh, calamari. And he's like, oh, I'll get some of that. And she, she, you know, sends in the order of the fry cookie. He cooks up the calamari, obviously, and gives it to her. And their hands touch and their eyes meet. And, you know, you know, ha, 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 ha. It's a moment. Oh, God, it's a come whole on. moment. And, uh, and then he takes a bite and he's like, mm, something about this isn't right. The wrong squid's fried. Oh, God. It's so good. <laughs> From there, Dewey Cox is born and they move to Springberry, Alabama. The timeline ends up, man. Perfectly, actually. 38. <laughs> Ha ha ha!